views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. evening and welcome to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. On this Friday evening, it is just about uh, two minutes after six o'clock on the East Coast here, down in the dirty South, in the state they call North Carolina, which is in the news actually today. Very interesting. I did not know um, that the state of North Carolina. Well, it really wasn't the state of North Carolina, but it was a private company here in North Carolina that was assisting the CIA in kidnapping people. All of them were Muslims, uh, male and and, uh, female, and were taking these people, flying these people to these redemption, what they call it, uh, uh, redition sites, black sites, secret sites where they were torturing these people to get information. So uh, this private company here in North Carolina is being called to the carpet for their activities and uh, an investigation is being demanded by the ACLU. So definitely want to take a look at that story as I had no idea. I had no idea whatsoever that sort of thing was going on here in North Carolina. Um, But We do have some important news to share with you today. I feel like all the news that we share with you on this program is important or I would not be bringing it to your attention. So there's a number of things and I'll just quickly uh, go through some of the headlines before I go into the articles um, in depth and take a look at, um, you know, what's going on here. Um, I came across an article that was published by TheAppeal.org. TheAppeal.org is titled, Will I Get Out Today? So what's happening is, in the state of Louisiana, prisoners are being kept past their release dates. Um, I'm, I'm reading in this article that some prisoners are being kept four months past their release date. And... It's illegal. It's actually against the law, according to some of the information in this article, saying that it's illegal to keep somebody 30 minutes past their release date. And and there is a number of reasons given for this going on, uh, but it is entirely unacceptable. And the state of Louisiana has paid out some some pretty hefty uh, money 
in relation to lawsuits that they should have invested in a system that is going to get people out of prison on time uh, when they're supposed to get out. So we'll look at the details of that, but that's the number one thing that came to my eye. As I stated uh, from the ACLU.org, we have an article, The Government Dropped the Ball on U.S. Torture Accountability. Citizens picked it up. And, and of course, we have to go back to the last administration uh, when this was a campaign issue. Um, Barack Obama, I'm not sure if it was his first campaign in 2008 or the second one. I want to believe it was the first campaign where this became Barack Obama's first campaign for president where this became an issue because it was it was uh, coming, you know, right after the Bush administration, which orchestrated all of this torture. And, you know, Mr. Obama said that. We want to look forward and not backwards. And the only person that I'm aware of that went to prison was a CIA agent who blew the whistle on the torture program, and they prosecuted him. Um, that would have been Eric Holder, right? That would have been Eric Holder who prosecuted this CIA agent for leaking information that the United States had uh, been engaged in kidnapping and torturing people. So we'll take a look at that story. Um, here we were talking about technology this morning on Tando Radio Show, and Facebook came up. Um, and in the context that we were talking about, why the people engage in certain activities, or why do they continue to use certain platforms, even though they've been warned in over and over about the potential, um, the potential things that can happen to you with your personal information um, as well as being targeted. And But anyway, Facebook is now saying that an attack exposed information of 50 million users. So we want to take a look at that. Um, which, I, you know, I've always wondered and why did they, why did Facebook make people use their real name? And what have you. Why? You know, no other network, social network I've been a part of has ever forced anyone to use their real name. You know, Black Planet was around long before, you know, Zuckerberg showed up on the scene with Facebook. I don't, Black Planet is actually still operational, but that's, that's one of the first social media platforms that I came across. Then, of course, there was MySpace and you know, they didn't require you to use your real name or what have you. Um, and so I was, you know, just still thinking, why Why does Facebook make people use their real name? Um, is it because they want to show real users um, instead of duplicate accounts to their advertisers? I mean, what's going on? What's going on here? Or is it, as some people saying, it's a way to provide, uh, to help the government surveil uh, populations. And if we're going to talk about governments in Facebook, we just can't talk about the U.S. government, but other governments as well, um, you know, where Facebook has a lot of users. Um, so that's the story I want to take a look up, look at 50 million users' personal uh, accounts were taken over. And that's kind of scary right there. That's kind of scary because somebody take over your Facebook account 
and post some child porn or or share some some child porn in the uh, Facebook messaging system and next thing you know it's being attributed to you you know you getting arrested for it so that that's kind of scary there um, I want to give a hat tip tip to Otis for sharing this article um, Kavanaugh Brett Kavanaugh uh, yesterday I was able to catch a um, pretty sizable portion of the judicial hearing um, his um, confirmation has now been sent to the full Senate so they did have a vote today and they voted to advance his nomination to the full Senate um, but there are a number of things and I'm not saying that the allegations of sexual assault and just the whole culture of sexual abuse in this country um, isn't important but I felt like a whole lot of other important areas were not being focused on during this nomination process and I want to give a hat tip to Otis for sharing an article about what Mark Judge's absence reveals is, is what it says. That's the title coming from the Atlantic. But just uh, it's really pointing out what caught my eye in the article was what Otis had highlighted about just this hypocrisy that we see with supporters of Kavanaugh when it comes to allegations being made and and talking about due process rights, and, and and these people have have railed against the due process rights or supposed rights of NFL players to protest during the playing of the national anthem and what have you. Um, so we'll take a look at that as well. Uh, they don't care about due process, but except for you know when it applies to one of their guys, I, I thought that was an issue worth bringing up. Um, if Otis is on the line, if I see him on the line, he brought to my attention as well this case of police brutality that ended up in his court, in Kavanaugh's court. There was a black dentist who was killed by a police officer, and the police officer claimed that the black dentist lunged at him, and that's why I had to kill him. And a jury determined that was a lie. And they awarded the family um, millions of dollars, um, but Kavanaugh threw out the verdict. And that's something that's not being brought up in it. I felt like that's that's just another reason beside um, the abortion card being played for, you know, evangelicals and, and those who are against uh, abortion. And, you know, that's pretty much... Um, all they care about and not the other issues that, you know, or other possible issues that's going to come before the Supreme Court. Um, but I felt like that's one of the reasons that Donald Trump probably nominated him. We know Donald Trump is a big supporter of police brutality. I mean, he said it publicly, you know, he's he's giving speeches where he told the police, oh, don't worry about if they bump their head when you put them in the car and, and what have you. And we know he doesn't care about due process with his full page ad taken out in the New York Times against the so-called uh, or quote-unquote Central Park Five, who never had a trial and was determined to be guilty by Donald Trump so much so that he was calling for them calling for the death penalty in a full-page New York Times.
times had, um, you know, uh, when that case was was uh, going on and they had not even had a trial. So, you know, Donald Trump don't care about due process, nor do it, does he really care about sexual assault either, as he has admitted to sexually assaulting women. But that didn't stop a whole lot of people from from voting for him. Um and then this is, uh, I um, also came across a Trump supporter, a woman who stands with her two daughters and she's being asked about uh, the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing and the allegations of sexual assault. And I was, I don't want to say shocked, but I still was taken aback that this woman said it again, Abortion seemed to be the only issue she was concerned about. And in front of her daughter, she said that young teenagers groping women or girls is no big deal. And I'm like, really? You said that right there in front of your children, right in front of your two daughters. And and her daughters were shaking their heads in agreement. I was like, wow, this is just uh, surreal that that you your political blindness would lead you to say that groping sexual assault basically is no big deal when you're a teenager wow and as of uh, the ladies i don't know which one posted it on twitter or replied because i shared it on twitter the video um from mind body and spirit radio said that her her kids need to be removed from the home cause she would not protect them from sexual assault and would tell them, Hey, that's no big deal. Um, another killer cop. This will be the last story we'll get into. Another killer cop slash slave catcher has been arrested. Um, this killer cop in Tennessee, a Nashville police officer shot a man in the back of the head. Young, young man. Um, and as I wrote, you know, as a note to myself, as I watched this video of this young man running yards away from this police officer, and then he, he's chasing him, and then he goes into his shooting uh, stance. The young black, uh, black man never turning around. They're claiming he had a gun in his hand. I wanted to know what you know, your gun rights are in the state of Tennessee. So that's something we'll take a look at. But he goes into his shooting stance and he shoots this young man in the back of the head and, and in the back. But what I was hearing in the wake of, you know, this Cosby verdict, which is getting a whole lot of attention and people in their feelings and in their emotions. And, and I'm, you know, I'm like, man, you know, I, I remember Bill Cosby's pound cake speech blaming, um, you know, people for getting shot in the back of the head because they stole some cake. And then also blaming uh, assumed absent black daddies for black people getting shot by, by police. And, you know, that that's what <laughs> came to my mind was the pound cake speeches. I read this story about this young black man being shot in the back of the head. Okay, so those are some of the stories that we will take a look at here today or this evening here on Black Talk Radio News. If you have a question 
or a comment, you can give us a call at 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. You hit star, star, that will unmute your line, watch your background noise. I will be checking the board and I will bring you in. Uh, please continue to support the efforts of the Black Talk Media Project to bring you independent black voices via digital radio, via uh, podcasting, via the internet. Um, so we can't continue this without your support. Um, we don't get any kind of money from advertisers, corporate advertisers. Um, we don't, as a nonprofit, apply for grants from people like George Soros or anybody else that's giving out grant money for you to talk about this, that, or the other, that is because we want to maintain our independence, never becoming addicted to money from someone who then will use that addiction against us to control what we talk about or what we, you know, uh, support. So definitely do that. You can make a donation via our uh, PayPal account, which you can find links to make a donation on Black Talk Radio network.com uh real quick it is friday so saturday saturday nothing happens at seven o'clock p.m eastern time the black talk media project via our uber conference line that we use for this radio show it also allows us to share screens or whatnot but uh saturday seven o'clock p.m eastern time we have our digital media classes and and consultations. So if you're looking to get into podcasting, if you're looking into, um, you know, get into di digital radio broadcasting, uh, please come to the class. It's free of charge. Um, and so that I can help you. Okay. So I can help you. And, you know, I think I'm a pretty good helper when it comes to those things. I'm pretty knowledgeable on them considering how long I've worked with this sort of technology. So again, if you're interested, I can definitely help you or even other areas, you know, anything concerning social media, anything concerning any type of digital media, chances are I can answer your questions and help you resolve your issues. And if I can't, I'll do my best to point you in the right direction. I also want to um, um, implore you to listen to New Abolitionist Radio's broadcast from Wednesday night. Uh, Max wanted us to focus on voting rights, and the 14th Amendment came up. And I tell you, we need to read the Constitution because they say it's the supreme law of the land. And then... There are things that's happening out here in the real world and we don't understand how they are happening. Well, if you read the, read the U.S. Constitution, those things will become clearer to you of how this is lawful, how this is quote-unquote legal. Just because something lawful and something is legal does not mean that it's just. It does not mean it's, it's, it's working on uh, practicing justice in this country. And we found another loophole in the 14th Amendment 
on Wednesday night, and we were again just documenting the long history of the disenfranchisement of black people. But since post uh, Civil War, um, this applies to anybody who gets hit with a felony status, but still. It's black people that's being targeted the most and, and other non-white people. So, but, you know, I do have to say that this applies to anybody with a conviction. And I've read the Constitution from the from the preamble to the last amendment. And things will still get by you. You know, sometimes you miss something when you read it. And that's why it's good to sometimes go back and even read stuff you've already read before, whether we're talking about books or whatever, because you might have missed something, you know, or it didn't register what, what you were reading at the time. And I'm very troubled by the 14th Amendment now. Most of the time when we're talking, when people talk about the 14th Amendment, they're talking about how it granted citizenship to formerly enslaved African Americans and it's also supposed to guarantee the uh, equal protection under the law in, in the courts and what have you uh, but I did not pay enough attention to the different sections of the 14th amendment and I was very troubled by section 2 of the 14th amendment which, uh, which makes it lawful to take people's, to disenfranchise people based on them being convicted of a crime. And if if the people who are in the legislature wanted to, they could take your right to vote away on a misdemeanor conviction over traffic tickets or something. Because the 14th Amendment Section 2 says nothing about felonies. It just says other crimes. And, and so when we look at all of this, millions and millions of people who have been in prison, who are not given their rights back to vote, you might ask yourself, well, how is this, lo how is this lawful? Well, you go to the 14th Amendment, Section 2, and you'll find out. Now, you know, I just wanted to make you aware of that. Um it was just brought to my attention again, and I'm going to have to get with some lawyers to try to explain some stuff to me because also it brings up the apportioning of representatives. Now, we know the reason, um, one of the reasons that they do a census every 10 years is to apportion representatives, right? How many senators is going to be apportioned to a state or to a district, how many members of the House of Representatives. And, you know, even when we look at slavery, pre-American Civil War, they were counting the victims of slavery, especially in the South, where they had most of the victims. They had them in, in the North, too. But it was really, you know, practiced heavily in the South. And they counting victims of slavery in order to gain extra representation, therefore, or thereby political power in the U.S. Senate, in the Congress, even though they know that these victims of slavery didn't have any rights, didn't have anybody representing them. They ain't have no representation. They weren't citizens. They were victims of citizens of the United States government. 
And then that's when the three-fifths compromise came up where they said that, you know what? The North was saying this is giving them too much power and these are victims of slavery that they counting. And these aren't even citizens and it's giving them an unfair advantage in, in, in um, you know, um, extra political power that they shouldn't have. And so I guess to avert a war over that, they came up with the three-fifths compromise. And, and that's when they said, well, you can only count three out of every five victims of slavery and count that towards apportioning senators and members of the House of Representatives. Now, that then when you look at 14th Amendment Section 2, there's a portion in there that's confusing to me because of the way it's written. And But it seems to be saying that you aren't supposed to count prisoners who are in prison, who have been, or anyone who's been disenfranchised and their right to vote being taken away. You sh- Since they can't vote, therefore they have no representation, you can't count them to determine how many, you know, how much political representation a district or state gets. But we know that they're counting victims of modern day prison slavery in the census and they're apportioning representatives to the House of Representatives and the Senate based on where the prison is located and not based on the last known address of where this person, you know, was convicted. Okay? So that's just, you know, law just really fascinates me. The Constitution really fascinates me. And that is something I plan to look further um, into. So, again, just um, I think that uh, it, it would be very informative if you listen to that last broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. You can find the podcast, of course, on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com under the heading New Abolitionist Radio. All right, so... Um, before I get into this story, um, it seems that we have someone who wants to comment. Uh, we actually have someone calling from Tennessee. Um, Jenna, did you have something you wanted to ask or relate to us? Uh, greetings, Scott. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing the best I can, as I always <laughs> try to do. Well, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful about the... Uh, three out of five people, how you broke that down, uh, because that always seems to get uh, mixed up in translation when people run across that uh, terminology. So that's that's one thing that I'm grateful for. It, it knocks out a lot of the uh, confusion. I wanted to uh, ask a question. Uh, well, I guess more of a statement. It could be viewed as both. Let me continue on anyway. When we're talking about the Constitution, uh, you have you and Max and, and several of your guests on uh, New Abolitionist Radio has gone over the Constitution as well as the state constitutions. Can you? Uh, I was it was brought to my uh, attention based off of the uh, current case that I'm going through, well, that I'm trying to get uh, prepared for about how the states have their constitution and their uh, particular rights and laws 
but even if uh, if you're following those particular laws, if it doesn't coincide with the slave catcher's uh, ideology or their uh, or their premise for what they're trying to do, they will upgrade it to the Constitution and or federal laws. Can you get into that somewhat? Because I think that a lot of us tend to uh, go off of what we hear and what not necessarily what we see, but what we may gaze over and think that we have a handle on the laws and wind up putting ourselves in trouble that we shouldn't be in in the first place. With that being said, I'll mute myself. Well, before before you mute yourself, can you restate that again? Because I wasn't fully grasping the question. Okay, no no problem. Uh, The state has a constitution and its own separate laws. Correct. When 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 the uh, slave catchers are trying to mistreat you, if what they're trying to do doesn't coincide with the state laws, they tend to go over the uh, state's head and goes to the federal, the federal laws and the Constitution if there's a difference. And I think a lot of us may uh, just pay attention to what we know to be the state laws and since it's that particular state that they're staying in or that they're traveling through they will uh they will not pay attention to the actual federal laws that are in place and i was wondering if you could go over that um okay let me see i'm gonna i'm gonna do it to the best uh of my understanding of what you're asking um Let's say that there is some state law. Would you, would you like an example, Scotty? Yes. Give me an example. That'll help. Okay. Uh, the reason this came up because my personal uh, my personal uh, circumstances right now is that Chatter, uh, Tennessee doesn't have a, a stopping ID law. Okay. But since 9-11, you are required... uh, under the federal law you are required to show your ID if a slave catcher asked you for it. Are you sure about that? Did you you know, um, let me me look that up but continue. Well, that's what I mean. Uh, Between those two laws under under Tennessee state law, there is no uh, stopping ID law. Okay. But under federal regulations based off of uh, 9-11 9-11 and the uh, quote-unquote terrorist acts that occurred. Uh, I can't remember what the uh, what the name of the law is, but but via uh, laws that was passed, it may be the Patriot Act, but uh, via those laws, if a slave catcher stops you, then you have to produce documentation. Okay. Now, this is what I'm going to ask you to do for me, Jerry. Um, I'm sorry, Jenna. Um, this is what no I'm going to ask you to do for me. I'm going to ask you to try to find the specific federal law that requires that we show our ID to police because it may have extenuating circumstances, maybe under these circumstances, or if you're on federal property. So I would need more information um, in order to give you you know, a proper um, answer. And so, but I am 
just I pulled it up flexyourrights.org flexyourrights.org I believe you know of them so let's go ahead and play this video that's titled when can police ask for ID will that work for you Okay, let's go ahead and give a quick listen to this video. What if police come up to me just asking for ID? Hey, hold up, man. Let me see your ID. Carrying an ID is required when you're driving, but there's otherwise no law requiring you to carry an you ID. But in some states, police can require you to give your name if they have reasonable suspicion to believe you're involved in criminal activity. How do you know if police have reasonable suspicion? Remember, police need reasonable suspicion to detain you. So one way to tell if they have reasonable suspicion is to ask if you're free to go. Hey, hold up, man. Let me see your ID. Excuse me, officer. Are you detaining me or am I free to go? I just want to talk to you, man. What's your name? Are you detaining me or am I free to go? I'm not detaining you, man, but I promise I'm clean. For sure, man. Don't got time to chat. Gotta go. What if they don't let me go? Then you're being detained because the officer thinks there's some reason to suspect you of a crime. Let's see some ID. Excuse me, officer. Are you detaining me or am I free to go? Turn around put your hands up on the wall. In that situation, you could be arrested if you refuse to reveal your identity. Technically, police can't make you identify yourself anytime they want. But on the street, withholding your identity frequently leads to a detention or even an arrest. If your goal is to just get the encounter over with, then identifying yourself might be your best option. But if you're prepared to fight things out in court, you can flex your rights by refusing to cooperate with random ID requests. So, I um, knowing the Flex Your Rights organization, um, which is, that was an attorney that you heard, heard speaking there. And so, I, I would say that nowhere in the United States do they have a right to force you. So remember, you always have the uh, right to not incriminate yourself by remaining silent. So if you don't want to give your name, just say I'm invoking my, what is it, the Fifth Amendment? I'm, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. And hey, they may detain you, they may arrest you until you're uh, uh, identified and then they may let you go. Then it's up to you, like he said, to get an attorney to then sue them for violating your rights. So just based off of that information, um, I would say that no, there is no federal law that requires you to to uh, give yourself uh, give an ID to a cop if you're not being detained, if you're not uh, being you know uh, suspected of a crime. So you know all of this stuff is subjective. It depends on the slave catcher that you come across. But my thing is to stress: survive the account encounter. That's my thing, and live to fight the violation of your your rights in court. So, but I I am interested. Um, you know, if you come across some different information via 
the Patriot Act or something, if you can look those details up and, and get them to me and we can talk about it on air next week. I will try to do that, Scotty. And once again, I put myself on mute. Thank you for your time. All right. You're welcome. Okay, so I want to jump into this first article. Um, it was written by The Appeal. And it's pretty long, but it's pretty informative. So I'm going to try to keep it as concise as possible and not read the whole article because it's very long. But you should read it. You should read it in its entirety. Um, this was published on the 26th of this month. Uh, it was written by Victoria Law, and it was published on theappeal.org. Will I Get Out Today is the title. Says Louisiana is keeping people behind bars long after their sentences have expired, attorneys say. Four days before his scheduled release from a Louisiana prison, Ellis Ray Hicks received a visit from his aunt. Her phone had recently been cut off and she needed to know what time to pick him up from the prison. His Hicks asked a lieutenant who, after checking the prison's computer system, returned with stunning news. Hicks' release date had been moved from January to July. No one in the visiting room could explain this change. This meant not only that Hicks was looking into looking at an additional six months in prison, but also that Hicks' aunt had to postpone her open heart surgery. She has no caretaker, Hicks told the appeal. My uncle has cancer, so can't move around much. That meant that his aunt, then in her late 60s, had to wait for her 50-year-old nephew to come home before she could proceed. After the visit, Hicks contacted the computation officer or the prison administrator responsible for calculating his release date. Initially, the officer told him that Louisiana's probation and parole department had changed his release date. That's also what he told Hicks' aunt, who called once she got home. But, says Hicks, that wasn't true. Hicks attempted to get an explanation, if not a change back to his initial release date without success. Instead, he was issued four release dates, none of which were January the 8th. The law is clear. William Most, Hicks' attorney, told the appeal. Once a prisoner's sentence has expired, the jailer has no a reason has, has a reasonable amount of time to process and release him. That reasonable time can vary in some circumstances. Even 30 minutes can be illegal, but the courts have reached a consensus that the reasonable time must be less than 48 hours. So again, I'm going to reiterate, in Mr. Hicks' case, six months past his release date. And then a, a, a bunch of conflicting information, a bunch of different dates is given to him, and this was illegal according to Hicks' attorney, who the appeal talked to. After writing to, to uh, William Most, that's his attorney for help, Hicks was released nearly four months after his original date. But Hicks' delay was no fluke. Most is representing four other Louisianans who were held far beyond 48 hours past their release dates without input from a judge. No one knows how many people 
are sitting in jails or prisons across the state past their sentence, in part because no agency bothers to collect the data. So I would go ahead to say if it's happening in one state, it's, it's, it's likely to assume that it's happening in other states as well. At least hundreds and probably thousands of Louisiana citizens have been held past their release date in recent years, Attorney Moe said. In New Orleans, Rodney Grant was arrested on a 15-year-old burglary charge when he tried to apply for a driver's license. The judge sentenced him to time served, meaning that Grant should have been released from the sheriff's department that same day. Instead, the sheriff's office detained him for two more weeks while they sent his paperwork to Louisiana Department of Correction for processing. So, if I understand this correctly, Rodney was in the jail. He wasn't in the prison. If if you're talking about the sheriff's department, the sheriff's department in most counties, in most states, run, run the jails. I believe that's 100% of the, of the time. The sheriff's department runs the jails. So he was in the jail. He wasn't in a prison, a Louisiana state prison. So I'm wondering why they got to send off some paperwork to the Louisiana Department of Correction for processing. Can't you do that right there at the jail? You processed him in the jail. You can't process him out. Ain't you got your own system? Don't you know when he's supposed to get out? And then most of the jails is adjacent right to the courthouse. Uh, to the courthouse. Um, I know that's the case where I live in Gaston County. And at one time before they built the new courthouse, in the new jail, the courthouse and the jail was all in the same building. All right, so let me go on. Instead, um, let me see, uh, Grant then spent another two weeks. It says he was in a state prison. I, I'm not So maybe they sent him to a prison. It took multiple calls and emails from the sentencing judge before he was released. Prison officials dropped him off in Madison, and gave him a bus ticket back to New Orleans over 200 miles away. Here's another man, another instance, whom uh, this same attorney represented but requested uh, to remain anonymous to avoid reputational harm. He was in prison for 589 days past his release date, so that's almost two years. Louisiana may no longer, and I don't know about this, and you know I have to look this up later, um, but Louisiana may lo no longer be the nation's incarceration capital, but the state routinely keeps people behind bars for weeks, if not months, and sometimes years beyond their release date. This extrajudicial practice has been happening at the local and state levels for years, yet no one seems willing to fix it. So, when you talk about overcrowding in prisons, seems logical to me that this would play into that. That you're keeping people months, and in some cases, years beyond their release date. What would be the motivation for that? And it goes on later to share with you some of the excuses. Some of them seem legitimate. But not legitimate because they should be fixed considering that you're talking about people's freedom here and liberty here. 
should get the utmost priority, especially after you've then had to pay out a, a, a considerable amount of money for violating these people. So if you are in Louisiana or I would say in any state and you have a release date and you know that release date and they keep you past that release date, you need to hire an attorney and you need to file a civil lawsuit, okay? And get reparations for that, okay? Um, but I would say that this plays a role I don't know how big of a role because as they're telling you, they don't know the exact number because they don't keep track of it. But I would say that this plays into overcrowding. What might be one of the motivations, especially in Louisiana, let's say you in jail. And we know that sheriffs are able, and it's still the law of Louisiana, that what they don't spend on prisoners' food, they get to pocket. And we've given examples on New Abolitionist Radio. One one sheriff was a, well, he's an ex-sheriff now, but he was able to make pockets almost a million dollars, over $700,000 from not feeding these prisoners a pro, uh, proper meals. I think he was giving them like, like, uh, corn dogs or or something like that and you know just just enough I guess to keep them from starving and what have and he was pocketing the rest of the month completely lawful again just cause something lawful don't make it just right that's why it's important for us to read these statutes and know the law knowing your rights as people say is knowing the law and then if there's stuff that's on the books that is contributing to this unjust legal system that we have, then we need to be doing what we need to do to get those legal loopholes closed that allow them to practice injustice against us to violate our human rights. Um, but it goes on to say no one was willing to fix it. Um, let me see. Stas Moraz is a staff attorney at the Orleans Public Defender's Office. At least once a week, he receives an email about someone who is being over-detained. Now, when I when I share, you know, just a brief, some brief information, somebody uh, on social media and, and alerted people I was going to be talking about this tonight, somebody said, well, where are these defense attorneys? Uh, apparently, you know, the defense attorneys are getting calls and, trying to handle it but again especially we're talking about public defenders which um you know poor people we don't have a lot of money to hire these high-powered attorneys and and what have you so what do we rely on we we normally rely on the public defender's office well when you got so many poor people in this country or in a state or in a county then it makes sense that that office is going to be overwhelmed so they're saying at least once a week at the Orleans Public Defender's Office that they get an email about someone who is being over-detained. Now, it goes into there are a number of reasons for a person being held past their release date. Um, Stas Moraz, the staff attorney, told the appeal. Now, it says one common reason is the lag in communication between the Orleans Parish Sheriff's Office and the State's Department of Corrections. Uh, that kind of sound like an excuse that we got 
following 9-11 about, hey, why y'all didn't know that these people had been flagged, these Saudis had been flagged for trying to learn how to fly a plane but didn't care about learning how to land one and, and they were flagged and what what was the excuse we got? Oh, um, our computers aren't able to talk to each other, which is a bunch of garbage. Come on, give me a break. But that's the excuse being uh, that's, that's here. Why aren't they on the same uh, computer system or the same network, I should say? All right? That, that does not seem like a legitimate excuse to me. It goes on to say if a person has been sentenced to DOC custody, that person remains in the sheriff's custody while his or her paperwork is delivered to the DOC. Despite the advent of email and digital systems, Local sheriffs in the state prison system do not have a shared computer system, so physical papers must be driven to the DOC headquarters in Baton Rouge. Now, that's a waste of money right there. That's a waste of money. Seems like they should a long time ago put these people on the same uh, computer network or system. Um, so, I mean, you got to deliver papers, hand, you know, deliver them. I mean, wow. That paperwork is driven to Baton Rouge only once a week, so they're not even paying for same-day service using, let's say, UPS or even the United States Postal Office because, you know what, your freedom don't mean that much to me. The longer you, to them, the longer you're in that prison or in that jail, the more profits your behind is generating for that system. All right, so um, it says that it, that paperwork is driven to Baton Rouge only once a week, meaning that a person sentenced after that particular day may have to wait another week in jail. Once state prison officials receive the paperwork, they must calculate the amount of time served and the amount of time remaining on the per person's sentence, a process that can take over a week. Now, why would it take over a week? Now, when a judge sentenced to somebody, let's say I'm sentencing you to a year in jail, 365 days, that's on that original paperwork. What is there to calculate? What is there to calculate? You know the date that that person was taken into custody. There, so, therefore, you should already know ahead of time, and it should be noted, their release date. Why did why do you only wait? I'm not that I'm buying any of this, but why would you wait or need to take a week to do the calculations? This person was arrested, or excuse me, this person was taken into custody on such and such date. Why shouldn't that already be on the same paperwork about their release date? I would think it would be. I don't know. It says only then. Will they request that the person be transferred into their custody? The process is slow, so slow that people will be in jail for two or more weeks, Moraz explained. Well, according to the other attorney, they, hey, he had a client that spent almost two years past his release date. Then it goes on to say there's human uh, fallibility. Prison officials may not include time served in the jail system either because they did not receive the paperwork or because the numbers in that paperwork are wrong. Wow. They also may fail to include good time or time off 
for good behavior when calculating a person's release date. So again, what are they doing all this by hand with calculators or, or what doesn't seem that difficult to come up with a release date. Sometimes people make mistakes, Maraz acknowledges, but he knows it's a structural problem that the system isn't set up to catch these mistakes. Of course it isn't. It's set up to keep people in slavery as long as possible. We only find out if a client writes to us. There's no system in place, either on the local or state levels, for incarcerated people themselves to fix these errors or to get in touch with someone who can help. Now, I'm going to stop right there. This is something that was brought up in the prison strike that happened a couple of years ago. They kicked off on um, August the 21st and ran through August the 9th. They had a list of 10 demands, and those demands kind of touch upon what they're talking about in Louisiana, that there's no way for these prisoners, you know, let me read, read, read that again. There's no system in place either on the local or state levels for incarcerated people themselves to fix these errors or to get in touch with someone who can help. All right. So these are some of, this is what I noted. Two other demands that I think is applies to this situation that the prisoners in the national prison strike 2018 listed. And so I, I picked these two because I thought they were most applicable, but I could be wrong. Demand number three, the Prison Litigation Reform Act must be rescinded, allowing imprisoned humans a proper channel to address grievances and violations of their rights. So, I'm going to have to familiarize myself a little more with the Prison Litigation Reform Act, but I just Googled it, and this is what it says. This is federal law. The Prison Litigation Reform Act, which is a U.S. Code, 42 U.S. Code Statute 1997E, is a federal law that was enacted In 1996, Congress enacted PLRA in response to a significant increase in prison litigation in federal courts. The PLRA was designed to decrease the incident of litigation within the court system. So this was a move, a bipartisan law that was put into place by Republicans and Democrats. 1996, that's when Bill Clinton was president. Um, what's his name? Man, I, I want, I'm, it's not Tip O'Neill. Who, Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House, a Republican. So this was bipartisan legislation that, that was signed into law by President Clinton to stop prisoners from accessing the federal courts to address a gr- grievances like, hey, I was supposed to get out on such and such day. And they keep pushing it back and put, I've been in two years beyond what the judge said I was sentenced to. That, I think that applies. And the prisoners are demanding a repeal of this federal law. Is this, a, is, is this something that was brought up by any of the senators in this SCOTUS uh, confirmation hearing of Kavanaugh? 
I didn't hear it. I didn't catch every single minute of it. And I know it's going to the full Senate. And right now my brain is kind of foggy on if all the senators will be able to ask these type of questions. But I'm going to say to you, though, they probably won't. They probably won't. You'll probably see some grandstanding on on some stuff like sexual harassment and what we've seen thus far and, and, you know, latching on to the Me Too movement. And not to say that isn't important, but it isn't the most important thing. You're holding people in prison beyond their release dates. That's very important. And I'm telling you, I'm willing to bet, bet the house, so to speak, that this is happening in more than just Louisiana. I bet you this is a pattern in practice all across the United States. Now, section two, I mean, excuse me, point number four in the National Prison Strike Demands. Again, this was a prisoner-led movement that kicked off on August the 21st and ended September the 9th, although there are some prisoners who are engaged and still protesting and maybe on hunger strikes and whatnot. But I think this is also applicable. Point number four, the Truth in Sentencing Act and the Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded so that imprisoned humans have a possibility of rehabilitation and parole. No human shall be sentenced to death by incarceration or serve any sentence without possibility of parole. So, I think the first part, the Truth in Sentencing Act, I'm not sure. Let me Google that real quick if that's that's federal legislation. This is what I came up with. Truth in Sentencing is a collection of different but related public policy stances. Not hearing this in law, but it's, it's, it's stances on sentencing of those convicted of crimes in the justice system. In most contexts, it refers to policies and legislation that aim to abolish or curb parole so that convicts serve the period to which they have been sentenced. So, let me pull this up again. It's pointing to the Clinton administration, which 1994 act provided incentive grants to states that adopted truth and sentencing laws. So this isn't this isn't to make sure you do no more time than what you were sentenced to, but to make sure you do no less time than you were sentenced to. Again, 1994. And then y'all, some people wonder why people were not attracted to the candidacy of Hillary Clinton, who stood by her. She was more than just some ordinary floated. She was not um, Michelle Obama just focusing on children, getting access to healthy eating in school and encouraging young people to eat healthy and get out there and exercise. No, uh, Hillary Clinton was involved in, you might as well say she was Bill Clinton's co-president. She was an attorney, okay? She gave public policy speeches and what have you, and, you know, so I would say that Hillary Clinton was was Bill Clinton's co-president. And therefore, with these things that we're discussing now, 
those people in the know, and then you wonder why people weren't enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton's candidacy. I was saying you need to do your research on the Clintons. Goes on to say federal legislation passed in 1994 is part of the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act and amended in 1996 aimed to promote reform by providing states with grants to expand their prison capacity if they imposed truth in sentencing requirements on violent offenders. So, as we see, the federal laws are about keeping people in prison. And the truth in sentencing, you know, they use words and then for these titles for legislation and policy. And, and you think it might mean something, but it, you know, until you read it and find out that, hey, this ain't got nothing to do with justice. Um, you know, so where's the legislation that you must release these people on time? Well, again, as I was reading in earlier in that article, let me back up to it. They were saying that it's illegal to even keep someone 30 minutes past. But now I'm going to ask you, where is the NAACP legal defense fund on this? I'm not exactly sure what the NAACP Legal Defense Fund does, which this you would think is in their purview and which you would think would be on their radar since I'm sure, I'm almost positively sure, given the statistics of imprisoned black people and other non-white people, um, but you know, that stands for National Association of Colored People, so that means non-white. You would think this would be on their radar. What exactly is are they doing over there? What are they doing? The ACLU, I see their name, and the Southern Poverty Law Center, I see their name on a lot of legislation or challenging stuff in court than I ever see the, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. This is not to slam the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. It's just a statement of fact, and I'm asking a question. What is, what is y'all mission? What are y'all doing with the money that people donate to y'all? What are you doing with it? Why is this a problem throughout this nation, I'm sure? But we know for a fact it's a problem in Louisiana as we have this documentation that is being shared with us. So I thought this was, um, you know, important to bring to your attention. And I think, you know, the, the prisoners are right to list this in their demands. The the Truth and Sentencing Act and the Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded so that imprisoned humans have a possibility of rehabilitation and parole. And I would just add to their list of demands is that people get out when they're supposed to get out and do not a single hour pass their, their appointed release date. Not a single hour. They say they're supposed to be released on September the 25th. I don't want them released at 12.30 a.m. on December the 26th. Okay? 
This country, man, I tell you, and people talk about it's a beacon of justice. And it's, it's the greatest country on the face of the earth. And, uh, and oh, Jesus, stop buying into the propaganda and open up your eyes to what's really going on. All right, so I'm going to take my station identification break. That's the main thing that I wanted to tackle with you. A um, couple of things that Otis shared in the chat room. Um, that's relating to, I'm not sure if it's related to this, defunding or underfunding these departments have been a method of suppression of rights for decades. That's right, oldest again, you know, and I'm not even going to say that they're underfunded, but I would say that they aren't using the funds that's provided them in what's, let's say, a constructive manner. They're not applying it to the areas that they need to apply it to, like putting the Department of Correction and the sheriff departments all on the same system. And let me pull up the article again before I take my station break and my music break. Let me pull it up one more time. And this, you know, this uh, specifically applies to the citizens of Louisiana. Uh, who pays for all of this? Let me jump down to the portion where they talk about lawsuits. Okay, in court documents, um, most is talking about that attorney identifies numerous past cases of over detention. In the 1980s, the state of Louisiana paid Jerome Robinson over 250000 for failing to calculate good time into his prison sentence. Two decades later, in 2003, the state settled a lawsuit for a person who had been held 1,213 days or over three years past his release date. In 2005, 2007, and 2009, it made payments to people who were held past their release dates. Most is also the counsel on two other lawsuits on the behalf of men who were over-detained. One spent 41 days in prison past his release date. The other spent nearly two years in, in state prison. This the last section that I'm going to share with you. But listen, they paying out all this money to these victims of over-detention is the term that they're using. Seem like, you know, if you got money to pay out these lawsuits, I mean, after paying out the first lawsuit, $250,000, you would think that they would have spent the money to put the, put these people on the same, I mean, the sheriff's department and the, and the DOC on the same computer system. Come on, man. What's going on here? What's going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on here. Modern slavery and human trafficking. That's what's going on. Now, prison employees, it, the article goes on to say, and it's very, very long, man. I ain't even got a third of the way through the article. So very detailed article with lots of information. But for the sake of time, y'all know I can't do, I can't go by it, you know, uh, uh, read the entire thing. But anyway, it says, Prison employees have also acknowledged the frequency of the practice. In the course of a lawsuit filed by James 
Childs, who spent 960 days in prison past his release date, DOC employees testify about the consistent overdetention that they observe. I'm telling you, man, I bet you everybody that is eligible to file lawsuits may not even know that they uh, are eligible to file these lawsuits. And they should. This is this is why I stand abreast of the news and not being distracted with entertainment news and, and other things. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We got to have balance in our life. But it's very important because I don't want you getting stressed out and, and you know, that get you get stressed and that turns into PTSD, a stress disorder. And, and so, yeah, you got to have balance. It's nothing wrong with taking some time off to just put the serious stuff aside. But when you're not, when you're not in tune with this type of information, man, you you just really missing out. And they're saying, you got employees saying, this is a consistent practice in the state of Louisiana. Y'all probably could break the system, make them go broke by filing lawsuits. Here you got employees telling it. They telling it. This happened all the time. Holding people past a uh, uh, release date. One employee testified that prison staff discovered approximately one case of detention per week for the past nine years. So that's what, 52 weeks? 52 weeks in, in a year, so that's at least 52 people times nine. And I'm willing to tell you it's probably more than that. But at least 52 people a year, according to one employee. Another DOC employee who reviews who reviews sentence computations for the department's assistant secretary testified that he typically discovered one or two people a week. So see, already it's then doubled right there by talking to another employee who were eligible for immediate release yet remained in custody. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. See, this is why the Supreme Court matters. Child's petition was ultimately denied by the state Supreme Court. So that means he going to have to kick it up to the federal court, I, I assume. So I just want to leave it there because it's just, it goes on and on with more examples. I'm telling you, this is happening more than just Louisiana. We have a call from 757. Uh, thank you for calling in to BTR News this evening. Uh, give us a name or pseudonym and go ahead with your question or coming in. Yes, Scotty, this is Otis. I went mobile. I had to move around. I'm in my shop. Look, I just wanted to say that word intersection comes up a lot when you're talking about uh, personal involvement. But there's an intersection in this prison system, too. I just wanted to say when I dropped you that note in the chat room, part of the problem for these people not being able to exercise their constitutional right has to do with underfunding and defunding public defenders. I put you a just off of memory, I looked up one of them and put it in the chat room for you. When you don't have someone advocating for you in this legal system, it means that the prisoners can do what they want and regulate your access to the outside. That uh, 
uh, several years ago, I was looking over this thing, the public defenders. It's so bad to the National Association of Public Defenders are, in fact, the plaintiffs themselves in an ongoing lawsuit about that, that the state legislature, they came up in an ALEC bill, that that was one of the processes to use to keep the prisons full. And that was over three years ago that, that I first ran into this. So I'm saying it's tied in. When you say you should be able to sue, that's exactly what's going on. Even in county jails, you can make all the paper requests you want. But because there's no outside oversight, what usually happens? Either thrown away or human frailty, they don't have time to do it, so it's set and never processed. So these people know, some of these people know their rights, but there's no one to advocate for you. Now, if you call Otis. a person on the outside as a family member, if you don't have a designated attorney, then you still don't get access to the court. And it's all tied in together. Let, let me say this, though. Outside of the public defender's office, you would think that this is an area that attorneys could make a good living off of prosecuting these lawsuits or litigating these lawsuits. Just like, you know, we hear the term ambulance chaser and, and you know, where attorneys, they specialize in uh you know, uh, traffic accidents or personal injury lawsuits and they don't get paid unless you get paid. This seems like a whole unexplored area of attorneys well, here. Uh, uh, I, I agree with what you're saying in theory and all I can tell you is I'll go back over my exterior hard drive and try to bring up some of this stuff and share it in BTR community. They've already changed a lot of laws that limit class action lawsuits. And here's another thing. I but not class action, though. I'm talking about individual they, they, yeah, injury. I, I'm, I'm telling you, yes, yes, they have. I'm trying to tell you. No, that's not what I'm saying, Otis. I'm not saying file a class action lawsuit. Scotty, can you let me finish? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. What I'm saying to you is the ability for prisoners to work together has been limited. And here's the thing when you come to individual lawyers. Most of them, I can tell you from experience in two cases in my immediate family, most of them require cash deposits. Very few of them, because the cases are hard to win, very few will take it pro bono or on contention that they win. That is the vice that has changed primarily over the last 10 or 15 years. Back when I was a youngster, you could get representation easy for just what you're talking about. But the system has changed so much now. Very few lawyers will take that risk. And here, and, and uh, Jenna out of Tennessee can tell you this: because so much of their income depends on local business, it's hard to find a local attorney that will put his reputation online going against the immediate system. It's just a fact. Talk to Jenna. We had a private conversation about it. Yeah, I've talked uh, to him uh, about I, that. I don't want to hijack his thread. Yeah, uh, he actually called in when I had my guest uh, from Tanya Free on Marty uh, on, and, and he mentioned, you know, how it was difficult to find an attorney to represent him in this uh, uh, case. All right, so um, again, so we're back to where is the NAACP Legal Defense Fund? What the hell are y'all doing? Okay. I would say I'm surprised that I'm not reading that the ACLU is involved in this. Maybe nobody's brought it to their attention, but I would find that hard to believe. This is just disgusting. We're talking about 
people's freedom. We're talking about people's lives. An extra week in prison could be life or death for some people. Okay? It really can. And again, the United States like to go up there to the UN as, you know, we've been seeing Donald Trump giving speeches to the UN General Assembly and the UN Security Council and portray itself as this peak, this beacon of justice and democracy. But the rest of the world is seeing these abuses that's going on in the United States and for whatever reason, perhaps being tired of bully, being bullied by the United States is pointing out these things on a national level. But at the end of the day, like I told somebody else, this is, we're talking about Louisiana and, and let's just limit it to Louisiana. This is on the people. And I think I heard you, Otis, earlier today ask the question on Tando, when is people going to revolt against the system? So this is ultimately, at the end of the day, it's on, it's on the people to make happen. And I'll leave it at that. When I come back on the other side, I will go uh, through some of these stories. I won't spend as much time and just share the information with you. But if you have a question or comment, give us a call at 704-802-5056. Hit star star. And I should stop saying if you have a question or comment. But if you have some information that can shine a light on some of these issues like Otis just shared with us. All right. You're listening to BTR News. I Try to broadcast every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, but sometimes I'm not able to, but become a member of btrcommunity.com where I let you know if I'm not going to be on air that day. We'll be back on the other side. Stay tuned. than one would dream. It seems inconceivable until you reflect that for 200 years ships sailed carrying cargo and slaves. Man, man, he non-violent. In the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years, is actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the drums.
tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to BTR News. Man, this uh, hour and a half, as it's 25 minutes after 7, went by fast, man. I, I But I'm telling you, it was worth spending that time on that article because that's a very serious issue, man. I mean, it, it's related. It's just one of the tentacles or one of the branches that lead to the roots of slavery in this country, keeping people in prison behind I mean, beyond their release date. Where's the truth and sentencing in that? Okay? So, please check that article out. It's posted for you in btrcommunity.com or look it up. The title is, Will I Get Out Today? And it is on the appeal.org's website. Um, I'm going to go through these real briefly um, before I spend... Um, so I can give some extra time to this killer cop being arrested in Tennessee, um, as well as some of the other issues besides sexual harassment, but also related to sexual harassment. But this Brett Kavanaugh confirmation uh, hearing, a number of things that was said, said uh, during that confirmation, um, you know, if I was a senator, I would just the questions that I was making mental note of that I'll be asking him or seeing how he's whining about, let's say for example, Oh, y'all trying to make it seem like all beer drinkers are rapists or something like that. I wonder if he ever seen reefer madness and has paid attention to the decades long propaganda related to cannabis use where they try to make it seem like cannabis turns you into a raging murderer. Okay, so, I mean, come on. Let's keep it real. All right, now, some quick articles for you. We have, coming from the ACLU, the government dropped the ball on U.S. torture accountability. Citizens picked it up. Frank Goldsmith, co-chair, North Carolina Commission of Inquiry on Torture, and Christina Calger, board member, North Carolina Commission of Inquiry on Torture. This is not a government organization. This is a grassroots, I I would say is the best way to describe this, um, that citizens created. Uh, Sheer stubbornness stubbornness is required of us when our government violates the law and refuses to recognize it. Seeking justice for the U.S. torture program of the post 9-11 period has required a lot of stubbornness. In North Carolina, a 12-year quest has led to a new report. Torture flights, North Carolina's role in the CIA rendition and torture program. The report was released Thursday by the non-governmental North Carolina Commission of Inquiry on Torture, a blue ribbon panel of 10 commissioners established in 2017 after years of official in action. It examines the part that our state played in the CIA rendition, detention, and interrogation program, also known as RDI. To write it, the commission gathered all available evidence, sought public records from North Carolina government agencies, and heard testimony from torture survivors, former government officials, and legal, medical, and human rights experts. After 9-11, the CIA created a global gulag of secret black 
site prisons where it's systemically and secretly tortured. It also relied on foreign governments to torture prisoners. But you didn't hear Donald Trump, um, you know, bringing up any of that type of stuff um, before the U.N., did you? For hauling prisoners who were all Muslims, which would be targeting uh, that is in violation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which prohibits uh, discrimination. You would also think that equal protection under the law applies here, but a lot of these people were not even U.S. citizens that they were kidnapping, bringing here to the U.S. or sending elsewhere to torture people. For hauling prisoners who were all Muslim to and among uh, these sites, the CIA turned to private aviation companies. Among them was Aero Contractors, which was and still is headquartered at the government-owned Johnston County Airport, half an hour away from Raleigh. The company also operated a larger redemption, redemption uh, jet out of the state-run Global Trans Park in Kinston, North Carolina, which is 45 minutes away. Arrow was founded in 1979 by a former Air America pilot and has only one known client, the CIA. At last count, it had 130 employees at Johnston County Airport and its current activities are on unknown. So it goes on uh, the detailed the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee's torture report, which was partially declassified and publicly released in 2014, which named 119 men who were held and tortured by the CIA at one or more of its black sites. But as the ACLU Stephen Watt pointed out at the time, it did not cover the dozens of men who the CIA rendered often in aero-operated planes for barbaric torture at the hands of foreign proxy governments. All right, so leave that. That's on the ACLU.org website. Uh, the next article, uh, Facebook, part of the reason why we set up btrcommunity.com, but an attack on Facebook exposed information of nearly 50 million of the social network's user, users the company announced Friday and gave the uh, attackers access to users' accounts with other sites and apps that they logged into using Facebook. This comes to you from money.cnn.com. The attackers exploited a bug in a feature called View Ads that let users see their Facebook page the way someone else would. The attackers were able to take over the accounts and use them exactly as if they were the account holders. That would include posting or viewing information shared by any of that account's friends. Facebook says no credit card information stored with the company was access. Facebook said it does not know who the attackers were or where they were based. Well, why why don't you unless they were using VPNs, you know, virtual private networks which would uh hide their IP addresses. It also said it has already fixed the issue and informed the FBI and other law enforcement as well as lawmakers and regulators. It also informed the Irish Data Protection Commission about the breach, a step required by the European GDPR regulations. The commission said it received a notification but expressed concern with its timing and lack of details. More than 90 million users, so they saying 50 million in one um, 
paragraph, but now they're saying 90 million users were forcibly logged out of their accounts by Facebook and had to log back in on Friday for security reasons. The accounts of Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and COO Cheryl Sandberg were among the 90 million accounts forcibly logged out by Facebook. So they were trying to do a fix, and that's why they forcibly logged you out. So that goes back to saying what I was uh, saying earlier about Man, I could see them targeting somebody. They don't know who did it. Ah, for all I know, hell, this could have been some intelligence service uh, um, finding out how they could uh, exploit Facebook to set people up. If I got access to your account, I can easily post some child porn or some other illegal activity um, on your profile or share it through with your friends and messenger. And next thing you know, you're getting a knock on the door and you're being arrested for child pornography. That's very, 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 very uh, serious there. That's a very serious flaw in their security system. All right, going on. What Mark Judge's absence reveal, as I was saying earlier, um, this is something that Otis had um posted and I said you know I need to bring this to people's attention um because right now everybody's focusing on uh is she telling the truth about these sexual allegations from over 30 years ago or is he telling the truth is he lying about this or is he lying about that and I'm not trying to play down that but I'm also trying to say that they're spending a whole lot of time on that one issue at the expense of other issues, but this particular article, um, within it, among the things they're bringing up is just the hypocrisy of people who are picking sides, not based on justice, but picking sides based on gender or based on political affiliation or based on political ideology and, and not focused on stuff that's based on justice. It says the entirety uh, this is the excerpt that caught my eye. The entirety of the Kavanaugh nomination has been a parade of egregious bad faith. People who call for black athletes to be fired, Donald Trump, which is in violation of federal law, which says that the executive branch cannot interject and interfere itself in private labor practices. Okay? This is a beef between the NFL Players Union and the NFL owners. Donald Trump is blatantly violating federal law when he called for Colin Kaepernick and all the other uh, players who are protesting who he called sons of, of bitches uh, and said they should be fired. Clearly he has no respect for U.S. law and he has no concern about adhering to his oath to, you know, so support the Constitution and, and uphold the law. No concern whatsoever. Um, so it goes on to talk about those who support. Let me see. Um, let me start over. The entirety of the Kavanaugh nomination has been a parade of egregious bad faith. People who call for black athletes to be fired for protesting unjustified police killings have suddenly become concerned about due process. Those who supported a candidate who wanted to ban Muslims have warned against painting men with a broad brush. The president who called for five teenagers talking about the Central Park Five when Donald Trump was this 
you know, just in private business. Um, but the president who called for five teenagers to be executed for a crime that they didn't commit has decried false accusations. So again, uh, for those that don't know, Donald Trump took out a full page New York Times ad, spent probably tens of thousand dollars on that, uh, calling for the execution of the Central Park Five before they even had a verdict in their trial. Those who chant, now I don't care about Hillary Clinton, but those who chanted lock her up because she should be locked up, but those who chanted locked her up, lock her up for more than two years have rediscovered the principle that people are innocent until proved guilty. Uh, Sarada Perry, he's going to get reelected, isn't he? But ultimately the sanction that Kavanaugh faces is not death. It's not imprisonment or even removal from the bench, but simply not being elevated to the nation's highest court. Imagine how different the country would be if Kavanaugh's defenders could extend their empathy for him to the average American who comes in contact with the criminal justice system. And I thought that was uh, very appropriate to bring up and and point out the hypocrisy of these people. But if you think, if we think that these people are concerned about being hypocrites, um, then we're sadly mistaken. But we should point it out. We should point it out and bring it up. Just like I want to point out and bring up, you know, I, I was uh, out there working on my water pump, and but I had my, had my uh, phone with me, and I was listening to this digital radio station that was carrying the hearing. So I did hear him talk about or whine about it seemed like y'all, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he said, it seems like y'all trying to make it seem like people who drink beer automatically become rapists or engage in sexual assault and what have you. Well, no, I don't think anybody was uh, trying to say that, but alcohol is known to give people liquid courage and uh, make them inhibited to where they might do some stuff they shouldn't engage in if they weren't drunk or whatever. But I want to take that comment and apply it to how um, the majority of people uh, in the United States, and I shouldn't say the majority because most, the uh, clear majority believes that cannabis should be legal and nobody should be going to prison. But those who profit from modern-day slavery and human trafficking have produced a lot of propaganda to paint cannabis users as psychopaths, sociopaths, and, and saying that it leads you down the road to criminality and what have you. Now, I don't know if Kavanaugh has had any such cases come before um, his court, um, but... You know, I just thought it was interesting that he was concerned about uh, alcohol drinkers um, being portrayed as criminals and saying, you know, because you drink beer uh, doesn't mean I'm a criminal or I have a propensity while I'm drinking beer to commit crime. All right. Even though we have seen a lot of stuff happen uh, when people are under the influence. OK, so anyway, uh, let me see. Now, this is something right here that was particularly disgusting to me. And this is this is where you get into your feelings, you get into your emotions, and you don't think logically. And you open up your mouth and, you know, just some other nonsense comes out your mouth. 
But again, you know, people, they, they get into these, uh, they get into politics and instead of approaching it like adults, they approach it like little gang members or something, immature gang members, you know, um, where I'm picking sides based off of my gang colors or whatnot. You know, the Republicans are known, their color is red and the Democrats is blue and that's their gang colors. And, and, but you know, I also notice how these people call call each other names. And I mean, it just reminds me of stuff that you would expect from children, you know, and they are not really being mature in, in their approach to how they engage in politics. But okay, look, I don't believe in abortion. That's my, I've expressed that. That's my personal view. Um, I had gotten a girlfriend pregnant. At least she said I gotten her pregnant. I never saw the pregnancy test or, or whatever, but she asked me for some money to get an abortion. I was like, I don't believe in abortion. I'm not giving you no money for abortion. Um, if you want to have a child and turn the child over to me and let me raise the child, then, you know, we can do that. As you know, right now, I'm trying to get custody of my children from my previous marriage. So don't be asking me for no money for no abortion. All right. But I don't try to force my views on, on, on other people. Okay. And that's just a, a, um, it's a very contentious issue and I could see a uh, legitimate points on, on both sides of it. But this woman who she is so anti-abortion that she's willing to say, Hey, allegations of sexual misconduct don't matter. They don't matter. This is normal behavior and whatnot. I'm going to let you, let you hear this. And, uh, and Jamil, Jamel Hill, the former ESPN sports analyst who took a buyout because she said, I'm not going to let ESPN tell me what I can talk about and can't talk about on Twitter. If y'all don't want me to talk about politics, then, hey, you can buy my contract out, and which they did. So I give her a lot of credit for standing up. How many people are willing to give up a job like that um, to stand up for their own personal um, human rights as well as constitutional rights and what have you. So anyway, she posted this to Twitter and it's just a very short clip from MSNBC. So I'm going to let y'all listen to this woman. Now, this is what Jamel Hill said. Keep in mind, this is somebody's mama and her daughters are standing right there. So. In Bozeman, Montana yesterday, NBC's Ali Vitali asked a Trump supporter and mother of two daughters about the accusations against Kavanaugh. Groping a woman, which is, what is that, at 18? I mean, how many guys, you know, think that's no big deal? Even back then, it was, yeah. it's, it's not a big deal. It doesn't just take away from his character and his job to do what he needs to do as a Supreme Court nominee. If he was, if he was pro-abortion, the liberals wouldn't be fighting this hard. We're all sick and tired of hearing about the Kavanaugh thing because it's not supported by any facts or evidence whatsoever. Um, so, like I, I played this several times as I was talking to a family member about it. So she does say, first says that what 
uh, groping eight men, 18 years old, that's no big deal to them. But then she goes on to say that she don't think it was a big deal. Well, well, what's that? What's that? What's groping? And then her daughters are standing right there shaking their heads in an agreement. So I feel sorry for her daughters because it's apparent that if they are groped in high school by by some teenagers or they go to college and, and they're groped, that their mother going to be like, oh, it's no big deal. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Or maybe their daughters will allow someone to get away with groping them because mama said it's no big deal. That's just disgusting right there. That I'm like, um, you need to take parenting classes. And if I was uh, divorcing you and fighting you for custody, I if I was those children's uh, father, I'd be applying for custody right now. What the hell are you telling our daughters that it's no big deal if some, some uh, uh, dudes grope them? That's just sick. That's sick. But again, people get deep into their feelings. They get deep into their political uh, gangsterism that they'll just go along with anything as long as it means my side win. I'll turn, uh, I'll look the other way or I'll come out with my mouth. Oh, it's no big deal. Which we've heard that from some of these Republican senators who, hey, what, what, what young man hasn't groped a woman? You know, this is just totally normal behavior. No, it's not. No, it's not normal. It's not normal. It, well, it may be the norm for certain people, um, but it's not acceptable behavior. It's just simply not. And, you know, I have to say, I witnessed this in, in high school. It was a game. And some young girls thought, you know, they thought, they thought it was no big deal. Maybe they felt flattered, flattered that someone paid them some attention or found them attractive enough to grope them. But I put a dude in the hospital. People who know me, who went to school with me, will tell you I put a dude in the hospital for groping my sister on the bus. I broke three ribs and broke his nose. He was a senior. My daughter was, I mean, excuse me, my sister was still in middle school. I was a freshman. No, I was a sophomore in high school. He's a senior. I broke that dude's nose and busted his ribs up. They carried him out on, on the stretcher. That's anybody who would say that in the presence of their daughters. I'm not going to say that they need to have their children taken from them, but I'm going to say that they need parenting classes that they need, that somebody in that family needs to play that back and she needs to listen to herself and really deeply think about the uh, 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 what she's teaching her daughters about self-worth. That's totally unacceptable. That's totally unacceptable. Now, again... I, I am uh, against abortion, but I am not a one issue type person. And, you know, I think that in this full Senate hearing, that issues of police uh, brutality need to be brought up as as Otis has shared a case um, with me on, on social media where a black dentist was shot 
by this white cop. Not that their color matters, but, you know, in this system, it does have relevance, especially when uh, white men are letting other white men get away with murdering black people. It's appropriate to bring up race. Okay. Um, but this case uh, made its way through the federal courts and ended up on in Kavanaugh's court. Black dentist, if I remember correctly, was stopped by a police officer, or not even stopped, but he was standing in the parking lot by his car when approached by a cop. My details are kind of foggy right now, but they were interacting in a parking lot, and the cop ends up killing the black dentist, and then lied and said that the black dentist made aggressive move towards him and he was in fear for his life and all this and that. He lunged at me. I had to shoot him and kill him. Kill this man. The family filed a civil lawsuit and they found that the cop lied about the whole interaction with, with the uh, uh, man that he killed. And they awarded the family, I don't remember the exact amount, it was over a million dollars, it might have been a couple of million or a few million, I'm not sure the exact amount, but that's not important, but the point is, is that a jury who reviewed the facts of the case and made this award to the family saying that that Dennis' life mattered. Here is an award. Here's a monetary compensation for the the police taking his life. Brett Kavanaugh apparently don't believe Black Lives Matter, and he was like engaging in judicial activism, something that I've heard for decades. People like Rush Limbaugh, uh, what's that dude named Michael Savage, all of these right wingers, they always whining about judicial activism. Well, when it's judicial activism by one of their judges, they don't care. I would say Judge Kavanaugh overturning that jury's award to that family was a case of judicial activism and represents his po- pro police brutality. Uh, uh, inclinations and probably one of the things that Donald Trump considered when he nominated him to the Supreme Court of the land Uh, let me Otis shares this I think this is it okay no that's not it okay that's not referring to that case but anyway let me move on because I only have a few minutes uh, left. So, uh, Otis, did you want to fill us in on, on on some of the details of that case you shared with me? Uh, look, yeah, that that case, I could, but I think something more important. Remember the conversation we were having about the the public defenders. I want to read something to you real quick. Starved of money for too long, public defender officers are suing and starting to win. Missouri State Public Defender Michael Barrett has seen this firsthand. Although things aren't perfect there, he deliberately chose not to use his statutory right to declare case overload. After his predecessor, Cat Kelly, did it, 
the state legislature proposed privatizing the entire indigenous defense system. So what I'm saying to you is when I tried to say that the the politicians are reacting to every move people make mm -hmm. to right these wrongs. You got to start vetting and holding these politicians accountable. Yes, yes. And the people that they And this approach. lawsuit actually started in late 2017. So it's an ongoing case. And, and this is just Missouri, but the national public defenders have brought suit. So I'm sure it is our research, but I'm sure it's in other court in other states too. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So, um, it's not enough. It's not a whole lot I need to say about this case, but it speaks for itself. You have a Nashville, Tennessee officer by the name of, uh, let me see, let me make sure I get his name right. Andrew Delk, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, or Delkey. It's spelled D-E-L-K-E, so I'll go with Delkey. Um, this comes to you from CNN. Um, and the fatal police shooting video was finally released. A Nashville police officer caught on video shooting a man in the back as he ran away has been charged with criminal homicide. Officer Andrew Delkey was charged Thursday in connection with the July 26th shooting death of Daniel Hambrick, 25 years old, according to an arrest warrant obtained by CNN. Delkey's attorney said he plans to plead not guilty. Surveillance footage released last month by the Nashville District attorney office shows Delkey 25 who is white chasing Hambrick who is black until the officer aims his gun Hambrick falls to the ground within seconds Delkey said he saw Hambrick holding a gun and asked him to drop it as both men were running the warrant states adding that Delkey said Hambrick did not drop his weapon authorities recovered the handgun from the scene they have said Hambrick's death has sparked art outrage among residents and calls for more police accountability. Metropolitan Nashville Police Chief Steve Anderson called Hambrick's death a tragedy in a statement on Thursday. Delkey had been working a desk job since the shooting. He has been decommissioned due to the criminal charge, Anderson said. Delkey turned, and, and again, this is going back to those people that asked the question, well, why it takes so long for them to fire these police? Again, there are federal and state laws that, that these politicians have put in place to protect the police from being fired. The police unions have a lot of power in this country. And I'm going to share an article, I mean, share this audio video with you of the police uh, union giving, you know, uh, statements on this case. But anyway, it goes on to say, Delkey turned himself in Thursday and has been released on $25,000 bail, which seems like a low bail, but uh, again... Man, CNN affiliate WSMV reported under Tennessee law, criminal homicide includes murder, voluntary manslaughter, and criminally negligent homicide. So we don't know what exactly he's been charged with when they say criminal homicide. Delkey's lawyer on Thursday said Hambrick had been holding a gun before he was shot and Delkey followed the law in his training. Now I'm just going to ask a rhetorical question. This is I'm not looking for an answer because I already know the answer. But where's the NRA? 
We got Americans NRA getting shot down simply for having a gun in their hand. So that led me to look up open carry in Tennessee. Now, in Tennessee, you can open carry a long gun. That means rifle, shotgun, those are long guns, okay? You can open carry. That's an open carry state. But when it comes to handguns, the only handgun you can open carry is one that's not loaded. Now, my question to you is, if I'm standing there with a handgun, how do you know if it's loaded or not? And then when I watched the video, I think I think Miss the uh, victim was running away from somebody else because it shows the police car pulling up. First of all, let me let me back up. Let me give you some other details. The incident began as officers with the department's juvenile task force, including Delkey, were looking for stolen vehicles in North Nashville. The warrant states. Officers said they saw a car several miles away driving in a quote-unquote erratic pattern, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation said last month. According to the warrant, Delkey became suspicious when a white Chevrolet Impala stopped at a stop sign and conceded the right away by not pulling out in front of him. So that's your probable cause. You got suspicious because they was like, yeah, just go on, Mr. Policeman. You go first. I mean, there's times I've had the right of way, but I was fumbling around with something at a stop sign, and even though it was my turn to go, I'll tell the other person, go ahead, go, you know, just go, because I'm trying to get something, and I don't want to drive and be distracted and wrecked. All right, so Delkey ran the car's license plate, the warrant says, and found the Impala was not a stolen vehicle, but the officer followed the vehicle anyway, to see if he could develop a reason to stop the Impala. Eventually, Delkey lost track of the car, the Warren states. While searching, he mistook a different white four-door sedan in the parking lot of an apartment building for the Impala. So if you look at the video, it shows the police car pulling up in the parking lot. There are some people standing outside, and he's pulling up to this this white four-door sedan. Then in, from in between the apartment buildings comes the victim running, which I believe he was running from someone else. He wasn't running from police because why would you be running towards the police? See, he didn't know the police was in the parking lot. I don't know who he was running from or where he was running to, but I do know running is not a crime. So anyway, they give chase to him. They give, well, this cop, Delkey, gave chase to him, said as the officer pulled up, Hambrick began to run. See, that would make you think Hambrick was standing there and then saw the cop and started running. My interpretation from what I saw was that he didn't even know the cop had, because the cop just pulls up and then he, he just comes into the scene as he's sprinting in, from in between these apartment buildings. You don't, when you're running away from police, you're running away, not towards. So the cops start chasing him, even though Delkey, as the article says, had no reason to believe Hambrick was connected to any stolen vehicles, the warrant says. Now, keep in mind, 
that he already ran the tags on the Impala that he lost track of and saw it wasn't a stolen vehicle, but he kept looking for the vehicle to try to invent a reason to stop it. When he mistakes, I guess he don't know the difference between an Impala and whatever this other car was, but he mistakes another white vehicle with four doors with this with this car he's looking for. Then he sees Delkey, and then he gives chase. Why? You ain't never seen nobody jogging before? You ain't never seen anybody run, is running a crime? So anyway, he says in pursuit, Delkey says he saw a gun in Hambrick's hand, according to the warrant. The officer gave Hambrick several verbal commands, including drop the gun or I'll shoot. It states, I don't know about all that, but I know, again, this happened very quickly. Cop pulls up. Next thing you know, you see Hambrick come from in between the buildings, running in the direction across the where the cop pulled up, but running across the apartment building, uh, the parking lot, and the cop starts chasing him. I don't know because there was no audio to the video. I don't know if there's any witnesses to verify the fact that the officer gave him several verbal commands, like drop the gun or I'll shoot. But let me also say, as I watched this video, I couldn't tell if he had anything in his hand or not. But I never seen him turn towards the officer to shoot. As if he, you know, was... No, he was running with his back towards the officer the whole time. And if y'all seen that Michael Slager video, it was the exact same thing when he shot uh, uh, Walter Scott in the back. Stop got in his shooting stance, and just started shooting. This young man was shot in the back of the head and in the back. Okay? Now, just because the police said they found the gun on the scene, we know these cops carry what they call, what they call them, throwaways, you know, guns that have the serial numbers and stuff filed off of them. And then I would say to you again, having a gun ain't illegal in Nashville, Tennessee. Having a handgun is not illegal. You can open carry a handgun as long as it's not loaded. But again, how does the cop ascertain whether it's loaded or not? It's not like it's a revolver where you can see the loaded bullets. This was a gun, a handgun that takes a clip. And I'm not saying it belonged to Handbrick. I don't know where the gun came from. But I do know, even if he had a gun, he never turned towards the officer to kill. Now, um, let me just play this quick video. Listen to what the police union had to say. Well, newly released video of the deadly shooting of a black man by a white police officer in Tennessee is spurring calls for the officer to be charged with murder. Prosecutors released the surveillance footage yesterday. It appears to show Nashville police officer Andrew Delkey chasing Daniel Hambrick last month before opening fire. Hambrick was hit three times. Mark Strassman is in Nashville with reaction to the new video. Mark, good morning. Good morning. This is the street where the fatal shooting happened that now has Nashville's mayor calling for a complete review of the police department. These flowers mark the spot where Daniel Hambrick fell fatally wounded. The police union says there's a lot more to this story than what the surveillance tape shows, but Hambrick's family is demanding more answers. I just want justice. 
for my son and my family. Victoria Hambrick, supported by her family and attorney, believes videos showing the shooting of her son Daniel Hambrick on July 26th is proof that police deadly force was not justified. The police officer chases him with his gun drawn, and at some point he slows down and executes him. Police say Officer Delkey was searching for a stolen car when he ran into Hambrick. The video appears to show Hambrick running from the officer before he was shot in the back and head. Police later tweeted a picture of a gun they say Hambrick was carrying and refused to drop. The Nashville Fraternal Order of Police argues Hambrick could have shot the officer at any moment. It is our firm belief that Officer Delkey acted reasonably under the totality of the circumstances. Nashville Mayor David Briley called for calm while the investigation continued. Getting to the bottom of this is very important. It's equally important that while we pass time waiting for the investigation to be complete, that we be patient. But the Hamburg family believes this is an open and shut case. You can see my cousin running for his life. There's no way that he is a threat. No way. And we do want justice served for him. Did not deserve it at all. Okay, I'm going to leave it, leave it there. I posted the video in uh, btrcommunity.com. And it, if you've seen the Michael Slager killing Walter Scott video, it's a repeat of that. Yards away from the cop, back turned, and the cop stops, gets in his shooting stance, and, and then kills him. Police union uh, representative there said, at any time, he could have shot the cop. But at any time, but at no time did he ever shoot the cop. Let's deal with the facts. Nor did he ever turn towards the cop. He was always running away with his back throughout that video. Now, I didn't even see him look back. He's just running. Now, if you want to take that stance, then... We can say that anybody with a gun can shoot a cop. Anybody carrying a long gun, open carry, legally carrying a firearm, a long firearm, or if they got a permit to open carry a handgun, or if they're carrying, well, obviously, if you don't have any bullets in your gun, well, but they don't know that. But so I'm just not buying this. They're saying that anybody carrying a gun is a threat to police officer. NRA, are you listening to that? Any citizen of the United States, according to this police union representative, that has a gun is a threat to police and is and it's justifiable for those cops to kill. Because you know, if you got a gun, you can shoot the cop. Right? That's the logic that they're running off of. This is, I tell you, man, if we ain't still in slavery, I just don't know what to tell you. You know, this is a problem. And this is also why uh, SCOTUS appointments matter. This is why voting matters. Short of a revolution where the people rise up in mass to get rid of this crooked corporation and, and, and create a more perfect union. Something else other than what we got because it clearly ain't working. Then we have to work with people where they are 
People don't seem to uh, uh, think that they're putting their lives in danger by voting. or So that's what we have to do. Or else we just going to continue to become victims. And again, listen to New Abolitionist Radio when we were looking at the history of felony disenfranchisement. You know why the Klan was, came about? Because too many black folks was being elected once black men got the right to vote and change and stuff. And they were like, oh, heck no, we can't do this. So uh, we got to assassinate some of these black politicians and we got to disenfranchise these black voters and prevent them from electing people in the first place. Politics controls every people activity area on the planet. Controls, regulates, whichever word you want to use. And otherwise, you know, short of a revolution, if we're not exercising, organizing, and taking control in, in that area, then you know what? We just going to keep seeing this. We just going to keep complaining about it. And nothing's ever going to change. Since when has, has simply complaining, again, you have to register complaints. Like um, Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without a demand. So don't think I'm denigrating people who, who complain about being murdered by police. But it's going to take more than that. It's going to take more of that. More than that. We have to actually start training up children to be the lawmakers of the future. We have to be training our children. Those that show an inclination for law. That's how that's how they do it. The young Democrats club, the young Republican club, and, and, and what have you. They start them out young. They start identifying them young. They start giving them, you know, uh, internships at, at the congressman. I remember, you know, calling out the local uh, representative, Patrick McHenry. Hey, why are you only offering these internships with your office to your alma mater, this private college and university, Belmont Abbey College. Wait a minute. Gaston College, you know, which is the local community college, why isn't it being extended to them? And I wrote letters and I complained, and eventually it was opened up to students at Gaston College, a public uh, community college. Uh, we're going to take one call. Um, Jenna wants to comment uh, before we wrap it up. Go ahead, Jenna. Hey, greetings, Scott. Again, uh, I've been listening, really enjoyed the show. And, and what you just said just now before you uh, open my mic up, uh, as far as getting the, the younger generation involved, uh, me, myself, I have been uh, speaking about this on our show, Real Life, about preparing the children and, and what I mean by preparing the children is not necessarily waiting till they decide, but just getting the idea of uh, of how they respond to certain things while they're young and very interested in, in certain things. And and just me myself, my I have uh, I have five children, three that stay within my home, and one of them uh, loves to uh, deal with medical issues. She's not afraid of blood. She doesn't squint when she see uh, blood, and, and she likes to see people get cut on, you know. So I kind of uh, 
push her towards looking at uh, doctor's books. She she don't understand it what right now, but she's interested in it. And I also have a daughter that that likes to argue and debate. So I, I push her towards the law books. When I talk about these laws, like me and you was discussing earlier, she's interested in that, and and I push her in that particular area. Uh, my son. He enjoys building things, so we we get little uh, we get little things. Uh, what do you call them? Legos, the engineering Legos, so that he could do that. So mm-hmm. these are things that that I do personally, and maybe some of the listeners could uh, could implement within their own families to be able to see where the children are going and push them in that direction instead of allowing the world to dictate to them what they believe they like instead of their initial gravitational pull towards the the areas of people activity that they like from the get go and just trying to de- try to develop that from the beginning. Uh with that being said I put myself on mute. Great show. Uh thank you. Scotty. Thank you, Jenna, and and glad to hear you doing that with your children. Who knows? You you might have the next Supreme Court justice. Well, not the next one, but in in twenty thirty years, you you might see your daughter sitting on the Supreme Court. In twenty thirty years, you might see the uh, other one being the Surgeon General uh, of the United States. Who who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But yes, we must develop. We must you know, push our children and assist them in these areas that they show at a young age that they're interested in and give them some guidance and what have you. Okay. Um, because you know, um, short of a revolution, short of a violent revolution. I don't see any other way to, you know, that we're going to bring about the change we want to see and not saying we got to wait decades for the next generation. But we have to engage in these activities. We have to in a competent matter. That means not just simply voting for somebody based on their skin color, but actually examining their policies and pushing them. Hey, you want my vote? Well, what do you think about 21st century slavery and human trafficking? What do you think about the North Carolina uh, Constitution allowing for involuntary servitude uh, as punishment for crime, but outright abolishing slavery? How does that work? Uh, Don't you think we need to uh, revisit that or, you know? Us complaining about it on the radio, us complaining about it on social media, that ain't going to change nothing. It takes action. It takes action. So if we want to see a better world for tomorrow, then we need to be training those future leaders up today. And with that said, I'm going to end the program. I want to thank you all for listening and to those who chimed in with their information and their insights. Um, Just to remind you, Saturday nights, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, I'm there for an hour. If I'm needed longer than that, I'll go over that. But I'm there for at least an hour. If you have uh, any inclination to learn how to uh, use this digital radio technology, learn how to manage digital radio stations. If you're looking to get into podcasting, if you're looking for different software to do this, that, or the other um, in terms of digital media, 
then I'm more than willing to help you. The Black Talk Media Project provides for that class. It's free of charge. You can even get free consultations on anything you're trying to do concerning new media. All right. With that said, peace and blessings to all y'all. Be safe out there over this weekend. Them slave catchers, I'm sure, as are going to be out extra, out getting overtime and trying to trap you up on some charges so that they can put you in the jail or prison and make some money off of you. So we had to do our part by not making it easy for them. Peace and blessings to all. Be safe.